chapter, uh, verses 27 to 30. I know that many of you bring your scriptures with you, but if you did not come with a copy of the Word of God, there are Bibles under your pew, and you can turn to page uh, 1,248 in that Bible under the pew. But let's look at this portion of scripture, which Pastor will be teaching in depth to us this morning, beginning at verse 27, chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation, and that is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. May the Lord be pleased to bless the reading and the teaching of his word. Excuse me. As Paul begins the book of Philippians, he introduces the Philippians to his imprisonment and speaks about what effect the imprisonment is going to have on the cause for Christ. He begins with addressing the spread of the gospel. And so he says, I want you to understand, brethren, that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. So rather than hindering the gospel, the gospel is actually going to spread as a result of Paul's imprisonment. He speaks of how he has an opportunity to speak with people that otherwise would not normally come in contact with, uh, especially the imperial guard, those uh, elite soldiers that would have even guarded uh, the Roman emperor. And so at the end of the book, he's referring to people that are believers in Caesar's household as a result of Paul's imprisonment. He speaks of how people are going to be emboldened as a result of his imprisonment. Uh, and some are going to speak the gospel honestly and forthrightly, for which he rejoices. And he says some are going to try to create problems or difficulties for Paul, but still the gospel is going forth, and he rejoices in that. So Paul wants them to understand that his absence is not going to hinder the gospel, but actually further the gospel. But now he moves into another issue, and that is how is his absence going to affect the Philippian church? How is it going to impact them? And as we think about that concern, Paul writes to them with this particular duty. Philippians 1.27, that's our key verse this morning. It says this, Only let your matter of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or are absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul's concern is that they would continue to walk in a manner worthy 
of the gospel. This word worthy means to be uh, acting in an appropriate manner that is in keeping with or consistent with the gospel. What you would expect an adherent of the gospel to live like. He wants their life to match their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So our theme this morning is, only and always, we are to live a life that reflects our true commitment to the gospel. We are always to live a life that reflects our true commitment to the gospel. Four questions that I want to answer from this text. First, when are we to live a life consistent with the gospel? Two, what does it look like to live a life consistent with the gospel? Third, why is it important that we live a life consistent with the gospel? And then fourthly, how are we to live a life that is consistent with the gospel? So first, when are we to live a life consistent with the gospel? Notice uh, where it begins in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. We are to live a life consistent with our profession of faith in the gospel, whether our spiritual leader is present or not. We are to live a life that is consistent with the gospel, whether our spiritual leader is present or not. Paul is now in prison. He is anticipating that he is going to come to them shortly. He states in Philippians 1, 25 and 26, convinced of this, that is that they uh, need his presence, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with, with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Then he states more clearly in Philippians 2.24 that he is anticipating coming quickly. Verse 24 of chapter 2, And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. However, until then, until Paul comes, and even if Paul does not come, even if he's wrong and he's not released from prison, and he's actually going to be dying a martyr's death, he states in verse 27, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul is concerned that in his absence, that they would continue to live a life that is consistent with their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Application. There is a particular danger that exists when our spiritual leader is not present that we may not live our lives in the way that we should in a consistent manner with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are times of unique temptation in our lives. Times when we are apart from our spiritual leader or leaders. For example, going off to college. 
when you are away from home, away from mom and dad, away from their leadership, their example, their rules, their standards, away from the church, away from God's people, away from the pastor, away from those individuals that uh, give oversight, encouragement, help, and direction that the temptation may be not to live a life consistent with the gospel. Uh, It's easy to sleep in on a Sunday, not to go to church, uh, not to be as active, not to be as involved, uh, not to be as committed to the things of the Lord. Going off into military service is a time of danger. We're thankful for the chaplains that are at work with our military uh, personnel. But nonetheless, a new environment, a new experience, and uh, the temptation may be uh, not to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Another situation may be families moving out of the area. Uh, They get busy. Uh, They haven't really hooked up with a church yet. Uh, They haven't found a a place to worship. Uh, They haven't found uh, godly friends and individuals that are going to be a positive encouragement to them. In all these situations, it is a time to be on the alert. It's a time to be on the lookout. It's a time to stop and evaluate how are we doing in our relationship to the Lord? Are we, in fact, living a life that is appropriate to our profession of faith? Are we living a life that is consistent with what we are saying about Jesus being our Lord and our Savior. So when should we live this life of consistency? Answer, in any and every circumstance. In any and every circumstance. Whether there's hardship, whether there's persecution, whatever the circumstance may be, we are to live a life that is consistent with our profession of faith in the gospel. So that brings us to number two. What does it look like to live a life that is consistent with the gospel? What does that mean? How does that translate into everyday life? Well, he gives us three ways. (coughs) (coughs) First of all, it means that we remain steadfast in our commitment to the gospel and God's people. Notice in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or are absent, I may hear of you. Now here are the three things. First, that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. They are to stand firm. They are not to be moved from their commitment to the gospel. This word to stand firm is actually a military term. It could be translated, hold your ground. You think of a, a military force, a people that perhaps have occupied a hill, and the enemy is coming and trying to regain that ground that has been hard fought. And you have that ground, that, that hill, and you are to hold that hill at all costs, that you are not to surrender it, you are not to give it up, but you are to ward off all the opposition and be victorious. That is the 
word that is used here for standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm as a people of God, firm in our commitment to the gospel. So we are not to waver. We are not to change the gospel. We are not to run from the gospel, but rather we are to uh, hold our ground and maintain our commitment to the gospel. They are not to fall apart just because their spiritual leader is not present. Secondly, it means that not only do we remain committed personally to the gospel, but also that we are working to advance the gospel. It's one thing to hold your ground. It's one thing to take on a defensive posture. It's one thing to say the enemy is not going to have victory over me, and they're not going to change my thinking, they're not going to change my behavior, they're not going to change my conduct, and to hunker down and say, okay, I'm going I'm to stand firm. That's the first step. That's good, but that's not enough. Okay? It's not enough just to privatize your faith. It's not enough just to say, okay, I, I believe, and I'm going to remain a believer no matter what my roommate says or does or what my professor teaches or how he acts or what my bunkmates, you know, or, or uh, co-soldiers or uh, my neighbors or whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm going to continue to walk the straight and narrow. This is going a step further. This is talking about advancing the gospel. This is talking about moving forward. This is now not just holding one's ground, but actually going on the offensive and taking ground from the enemy. All of that found in this word, striving side by side, in verse 27. Okay? Striving side by side. Now the metaphor changes. It's not a military metaphor. It's an athletic metaphor. It's as a team going forward, as a team being victorious. Paul is concerned that they be a team and that as a team, not only are they hunkering down and holding on, but they're actually going to affect the city, that the gospel is going to continue to spread as a result, whether he's there or not. But they continue the work going forward. This word, to strive together or to labor side by side, is a very unusual word. It's only found two places in the New Testament. It's found here and one other place. So turn with me, that's in Philippians 4. Philippians 4. In the Philippians, we have these themes that are continually developed. In Philippians chapter 1, 4, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, notice these words. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my crown and joy, stand firm in the Lord. 
Stand firm in the Lord. We just saw that, standing firm in the Spirit. Stand firm in the Lord. Notice the next words. I entreat Yodia, I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. That's the exact same phrase that's found in chapter 127. Laboring or striving side by side. In the Greek, it's the exact same way, although it's translated slightly different. He's saying these individuals, Yodike and Syntyche, they were right by my side as we were spreading the gospel, as we were fellow workers. They were right there with me. They were on the team. And we're going forward. But now, they're not getting along. Now, they're not striving for the work of God. Now, in Paul's absence, the team's starting to fall apart. And so Paul writes and says, you need to continue to be a team whether your team leader is there or not. For your ultimate leader is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are to be looking to him and his help. And you need to maintain your work, your service for the things of God. So it's not just hunkering down, but it's actually advancing the cause of Christ. And then thirdly, oh, excuse me. And uh, the reason for that is, it says, for the faith of the gospel. The faith here is the truth that one believes. It's not the personal faith. That's more of the first one. It's not just that you hold on to the, your faith, which was the first idea, but now that you are guarding the truth, the gospel, the faith, the dogma, and that you are taking that forward. Then thirdly, what does this life consistent with the gospel look like? It means that we will not be intimidated by those who oppose the gospel. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. What does it mean not to be frightened in anything? Uh, I've translated this with the word intimidated. Intimidated. Again, this is an unusual word, and it's better understood as intimidation. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Again, how these themes are continually developed throughout Philippians. Philippians 2, 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Okay, so we're right back to the same idea here. You need to obey, not just when I'm present, but when I'm absent. And then he says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out doesn't mean work for your salvation. It means the outworking of your salvation. Let your salvation... Have its effect in your life. 
and live for God with fear and trembling. Okay? Now, our text says in verse 28, and nothing frightened. How do you, how do you reconcile those two ideas? Well, the one, as I said, means intimidation. The other one means to be, to be scared or to be frightened. Think of a military application once again. Think about the person who is going into battle. Okay? They are not to be cowardice. They are not to run from the battle. They are to go forth and enter into the conflict. But as they do so, they might be scared out of their wits. As they enter that, that battle, the, the reality that, that they may die is coming home to them. Okay? When they pick up that, that rifle to shoot, they may be shaking. They may be quaking. The bombs are dropping around them. The, the shrapnel is, is flying. Okay? But they're not backing away. They are not turncoats. They are still going forward. So the portion in Philippians 2 is saying, don't be a turncoat. Hang in there. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if your hands are shaking, even if you look and you recognize the very present fear that is real, keep going forward. Is Philippians 2. Philippians 1 is don't be intimidated. Don't let people silence you from your speaking the word of God. Don't let people silence you. Notice the progression. Hold your ground. Having hold your ground, advance. And as you advance, don't let people silence you. Don't let people intimidate you from not sharing the gospel. Paul is in prison for sharing the gospel. But Paul says it hasn't hindered the spread of the gospel. Why? Because it hasn't silenced him. Because it hasn't intimidated him. Because while he is still in prison, he's still going forward. He's still advancing. He is still sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he demands of us. Thirdly, why is it so important that we live a life consistent with the gospel? Answer, our commitment to the gospel reveals the truth about our faith. The Philippians' continued allegiance shows the reality of the truth of the gospel. Notice verse 28. And not frightened at anything by your opponents. And then it says this. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. How is the Philippians maintaining their ground, advancing the cause, and 
not being intimidated, but sharing the gospel, how is that a sign to those that oppose them of their destruction? Well, destruction can be used in a broad way. It can mean, from the beginning, defeat. Okay? They have been defeated. Those people that put Paul in prison for sharing the gospel have been defeated. The reason that he is in prison is that they intended to hamper the spread of the gospel. Paul says, didn't happen. The only thing that happened about putting me in prison is the gospel spread further. They thought that they could stomp out the gospel by putting soldiers around Paul to intimidate him. It didn't silence him. He just kept speaking the gospel. And soldiers came to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And it got all the way back to Caesar's household where there were people who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It was a demonstration of their defeat. And not just their defeat in the moment, but then the reality that the gospel cannot be defeated. That not to believe the gospel is ultimately going to result in one's destruction. Conversely, as they place their faith and trust in Jesus and continue to live their life for God, then the second half of verse 28, but of your salvation and that from God. That our faith is not in vain, that our faith is real, that Jesus really is the deliverer. He really is the giver of life. He really is the Lord, and we can put our trust and confidence in him. Now, having said all that, I'm going to slow down, for here is the most important part as I view it. That is, how can we be able to live a life consistent with the gospel? How can we do that? It's one thing to talk about what we should do, but how can we? How can you, how can I live a life consistent with the gospel? And here there's a very important play on words, answered by the grace of God. First, we must understand that the reason that we believe the gospel at all is because of the work of the Spirit of God. Faith is a gift. I hope that we all clearly understand that coming to faith is a result of the work of God. Notice Philippians 1.29. For, here's, here is the reason. For, it has been granted to you to believe in him. Okay? Uh, cross out all the words in between. We'll come back to them. It has been granted to you to believe in him. It's been granted to you to believe in him. That's essential to our understanding of the gospel. The reason that we believe the gospel is because it has been granted to us. That word granted is the word graced. Graced. Or gifted. Uh, when you talk about a gift, that, the Greek granted, gift, grace, all the same word. 
all the same word. It means not earned, merit, unmeritorious. It has just been given to us. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Okay? Now, you need to understand that. That's basic to the gospel. But having understood that, consequently, the basis of our remaining faithful to the gospel is likewise the grace of God. Notice verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now notice that. It has been granted, gifted, graced to you to believe, but not only to believe, but it's been granted to you to suffer for his sake. That that is God's gift to you. That you are going to suffer for Christ's sake. Now we can go in two ways there. We can talk about how the, the suffering itself is a gift of God. But what I want to stress this morning is the enablement to suffer is the gift of God. Both are true. But I'm going to camp on the second here this morning. That the ability to stand, the ability to go forward to advance, the ability not to be intimidated is in fact a grace of God. It is God's goodness to us. He will watch over us. He will prepare us. Now notice how Paul is unveiling his argument. Go back to Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, that's causing you to believe in the gospel. He who began that good work in you, causing you to believe the gospel, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He not only brings you to faith, but continues to work in your life after you believe. He continues to give his grace. He continues to give his help. He now is going to give to you the ability to suffer. Just as what you could not do on your own, and that is exercise faith in Jesus Christ, now he is going to give you the ability, what you cannot do on your own, which is stand firm, advance, and actually be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. The one who began this good work in you will bring it to the day of Christ. Again, just carrying this theme through. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2. Because Paul just continues to build on these, these ideas. Philippians 2, starting with verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, I'm at Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We just looked at that, but now here's the new verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. 
You see, God not only brings us to the place that we want to serve God, he brings us to the place where we are capable of serving God. He continues to work. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He who brought you to faith is going to keep you in the faith. He that did this salvific work is going to complete it. There are three views, three major views, theologically, of what a, a person's relationship to God after they are saved is, okay, if I can put it that way, okay? There is the Arminian view, which teaches that you can lose your salvation, okay? You can be saved, but then you can lose your salvation, <clears throat> The Calvinistic view is the perseverance of the saints, which I'm going to get to in just a moment. There's a quasi-Calvinistic view that's a combination of Arminianism and Calvinism that talks about eternal security. You may have heard it, once saved, always saved. Okay. Eternal security stresses the aspect of making a decision. If you made a decision for Christ, you're saved forever and ever. And so all you have to ask the question is, have you made a profession of faith? And if you are, or if you've made a profession of faith, then you can be assured that you have everlasting life. It's all based on your decision. That's the Arminian part of, of this, okay? It's back to you, okay, and what you have done. That's not perseverance of the saints. Our position, our article of faith is perseverance of the saints. And listen to its definition. Salvation is the work of God from its commencement to its consummation. That's the basis. Salvation is a work of God from its beginning to its completion. It's not about us, it's about God. From the beginning to the completion. Those regenerated by the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit become partakers of the divine nature. They are preserved by the power of God so that they shall never totally or finally fall away, but shall persevere unto the end. Our confidence is the work of God. It's not us. If he brought us to faith, he will keep us in faith. If he brought us to salvation, he will bring us to the point of salvation. It has been given to you, Paul says, not just to believe, but it's been given to you to suffer. This isn't something that we have to stir within ourselves, that we have to pick ourselves up with our bootstraps. It's a confidence that we have. You see, that's why it's talking about walking in a manner that's consistent with the gospel. That's consistent. The gospel is a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of looking not to ourselves, but to him. It's not about presenting our goodness to God, but receiving our help from God. 
The purpose of the gospel is to save us to serve Christ's purposes. Notice verse 29, for it has been granted for us for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, for the advancement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's life is not the exception, but is normative. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had now and here that I still have. Philippians 4 and 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, I am the example. I am the example. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. That conflict was to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay in this world, which is more needful for you. Let's go back to verse 19. It's where we were last week. Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul said that for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. Last week we emphasized how was that going to be accomplished? He said, through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. So when we think about this great work of God, that he has saved us, and he has given to us the ability not only to believe, but to suffer for his sake. That should not create slackness in our hearts. That should not create apathy in our part. We should not just sit back and say, okay, life's going to be a cakewalk. No, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. No, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But what do you do in that difficulty? What do you do in that hardship? Two things. First, pray. Pray. Go back to verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that through your prayers... I'm going to get through this. Because God has given me the faith and God has given me the ability to suffer by his grace. And how does he mediate it? Through prayers. So what does Paul do? Paul says, pray. Paul begins by saying, I'm praying for you. Paul moves to, you pray for me. And the book ends with, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Pray. 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 Pray for that college student. Pray for that person in the military. Pray for that person who has moved away. Pray for yourself. Pray for your church. Pray that we would stand firm. Pray that we would advance. 
Pray that we would not be intimidated. Pray. And the second thing, he says, and the spirit of Christ will be at work. Verse 19. For I know that, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will this turn out to my deliverance. Again, end of the book, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known unto God. And now this. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This peace that I can't explain to you. This peace that I can't communicate to you. This peace that I cannot in any tangible way demonstrate to you other than the fact that God will keep you. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll give you a peace that you can't imagine. At the time that you need it. We don't experience it today. But I fully believe. I fully believe. That if there were a day. That someone would walk in here with a semi-automatic. And say to us. Either recant your faith. Or die. That we would all be able to choose death. Not because of who we are. Not because of the measure of our maturity. Not because of our strength of willpower. Not because of our intestinal fortitude. But because of the grace of God. Who gives us not only the ability to believe. But to suffer. At that moment. He will see us through. And that's why God is to be glorified. Because we're weak. We're weak. We need him. But let's understand how weak we really are. And let's understand how easily we are intimidated. How easy it is for us to be silenced. And not speak like we should. How easy it is for us to walk in a way that's not in keeping with our profession of faith that Jesus is Lord. So what do we do about it? Pray. Pray. Pray and ask for God to encourage us, strengthen us, help us, give us wisdom, all the things that Paul prayed for in the first prayer. Pray those things. And secondly, don't hinder the Spirit's working. Don't quench the Spirit. Rely upon the Spirit. Don't look to yourself. Look to God. Standing firm in one Spirit. Notice chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, if there's any reality to these things, Hold on. Hold on. Look to the Spirit of God, not to yourself. Let us walk in a manner 
worthy of the gospel, that reflects the truth of the gospel, that demonstrates we really believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And we live by grace through faith. Paul writes to the Galatians, Oh, you foolish Galatians, you who have begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you started out in faith and now you're going to perfect yourself by your deeds? No. Salvation is by grace through faith from beginning to end. The Christian life is about grace through faith. We're looking to God for help. That's the gospel. And we live consistently by the gospel by continually looking to God for his grace through faith. May we live our lives consistent with the gospel. Grace through faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that is ours, that through faith in Christ, we can experience the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God. But Lord, the, the good news that through faith in Christ, that we can stand strong. That through faith in Christ, we are one day going to be in your presence. That by grace, through faith in Christ, we are going to be resurrected. Oh Lord, help us to live this life today by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. Minister to us. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in a consistent manner. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Heller is going to give you the, the number, but I've asked that we change our closing hymn to A Mighty Fortress is our God. Thinking about this, grace through faith we stand.